When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Only thing unplugged is Forgotten Seasons. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Forgotten Seasons. This is your host, Dylan Dreyfus. Another week, another season to relive. Today, we got the all-dramatic, incredibly talented 2015 Lob City Clips with their starting small forward, the first repeat guest on Forgotten Seasons, my guy, Matt Barnes. There's a few different Lob City teams that we were deciding between, but we landed on 2015. In my opinion, this is when the door really starts to shut on the whole Lob City era. I'm going to get into all of it with Matt, but we got a lot of details on CP, Doc, Blake, DeAndre, a classic playoff series against the Spurs, and of course, the epic collapse against Houston, and a lot more. Let's get into it, but before we do, a reminder to rate and review the podcast if you are enjoying it. We got some crazy exciting guests on the way. We're really just getting our feet wet right now, believe me. Be sure to check out the rest of Showtime Basketball's lineup. All the smoke, KG certified, what's burning. We're hitting you with fresh episodes five days a week, so definitely tap in if you have not already. We got Matt Barnes coming up. Forgotten Seasons on the 2015 Clippers begins right now. Welcome to the Showtime family, man. Hey, hey, thank you for putting this all together. Yeah, no, I'm glad we were able to get that done. Nah. Love love your work, bro. I love your work, too, and um, we got some big things in store for this year. So for today's purposes, as always, one one team, one season, we got the 2015 Clips. Mm. Before we get into this season, we were talking a little bit before, I want to quickly recap the previous three years because... At the end of each Clippers season, there seemed to be like a scapegoat or a finger pointed at one issue or one person as (laughs) to why you guys did not win the championship, right? So 11-12 is the first Chris Paul year, the birth of Lob City, Blake, DeAndre, Lobs everywhere. It's the lockout season, kind of a weird year. They make the second round and then lose to San Antonio. Blake is young, you know, make some additions. The next year, 12-13, they bring yourself in. They bring Jamal Crawford in, Lamar Odom. As always, great regular season, 56 wins, but first round exit. Bye-bye, Vinny Del Negro. Hello, Doc Rivers as the coach and the executive. 13-14. savior. Yeah, well, the savior. He's supposed Uh, to be the savior, yeah. So the, the same sort of story goes. Amazing regular season. Can the Clippers win the championship with this core? To be fair, there were some crazy controversies in the 14 playoffs. The Donald Sterling tapes come out um, that obviously those are wrenching things. You guys managed to get past round one. And then 
that OKC series, man, in 2014. Mm. I mean, Houston, obviously the Josh Smith series in 15 gets all the attention for the monumental collapse. But, man, up up seven, tied 2-2 in game five with 50 seconds left. KD hits a big three. Russ gets a big steal, fouled, and you guys lose. And then you blow a, a double-digit lead in game six. So that season ends um, and we go into 14, 15, there's no more excuses to be made. This is year four of CP, DeAndre and Blake year two of doc. Uh, What is the energy like in training camp? As you come back in 15, you said at the time that everybody on the team just wanted to win so badly that they were overthinking the, the little stuff. Can you expand on what that exactly means and just what the energy and attitude was like as you go into the 2014-15 season? Um, I think we realized that the year before we let that LKC uh, series slip and, you know, had a great chance to, you know, go to the Western Conference Finals and you get there, you never know what happens. So we knew we we blew that Um, coming into the next season. I mean, we had, you know, championship or bust on our mind. Um, you know, we made some key additions uh, to strengthen our bench and, and depth. And, um, you know, it started off slow in the preseason. We struggled. I know I particularly struggled in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think because we wanted it so bad, not realizing it was a, a marathon. It wasn't a sprint. You know, we had a long <clears throat> ride to go on together. So I think, you know, everyone eventually relaxed and we started playing good basketball. So outside of yourself, uh, outside of CP, Blake, and DeAndre, we got Austin Rivers coming in as the coach's son. Uh, We got Jamal Crawford, J.J. Reddick, Spencer Hawes rounding it out. The constant phrase that comes to the conversation with this team is mental toughness. There's never been a team in NBA history that has won a championship that was not mentally tough. Uh, You've said in the past, I've heard J.J. uh, and Blake talk that this team was just not mentally tough. What does that mean exactly? Uh, and can you specify like what was la- lacking with that mental strength in this team? Um, I think it was, it, it was two parts. Uh, you know, obviously we hit, you know, every season hit ad- adversity and, you know, there would be some finger pointing or some, some whispering, um, you know, amongst management, amongst players. And, um, and then also it was like a weird dynamic where like we really 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 fucked with each other off the court like we all hung out our kids hung out it was like a close-knit family on the outside looking in you would think like man these clippers have great chemistry because we did off the court uh but then on the court it was just it was different you know at at times we would look like the best team in the league hands down we would Mm -hmm. blow out the best teams in the league we'd be hitting on all cylinders and other times there would be finger pointing and issues. Um, I know one of the issues was, and it was weird because I didn't see it as an issue, but it was the way that Chris Paul delivered um, his messages. You know, I love Chris, uh, one of the greatest point guards, that, you know, to ever play the game. Someone I'll take in the foxholes 10 out of 10 times. But Chris was more old school. You know, when you hear rumors around the league that guys don't like Chris, and this is, I think that's all bullshit. I just think Chris is like one of those, it's an acquired taste. Like Chris is a throwback type of guy that's really going to tell you like what the fuck he sees and, and what's going on out there. And Doesn't you know, nine out of ten, Right. And nine out of 10 times, he's right. You know what I mean? So um, 
there was definitely a, I feel like a disconnect at the top with our with our big three sometimes um, with the way Chris would deliver messages and you know I would sometimes or a lot of the times kind of be the bridge between what CP was saying and, and what he was trying to get out of his two young stars and and Blake and DJ and uh, you know I would be that bridge like yo this is what Chris is trying to say to you you know what I mean just quiet he's not wrong it's just again sometimes his delivery would come off a little harsh and it would kind of turn those guys off so I kind of felt like that was definitely a disconnect at times during the season because you would see, you know, we, you would see our, our stars on, on three different islands instead of on one island. <clears throat> I mean, I was looking at the basketball reference page the other day and outside of points per game, like CP is putting up the exact same numbers in 2022 as he did in his prime in, yeah. in 2015. Yeah, um, is there, I mean, we all see as fans like the barking on the court, but off the court, is there another aspect of his leadership that is different than that? No, like I said, uh, I think off the court, everyone will, I mean, to my, I mean, you know, sometimes you don't really know what's inside someone's head and, you know, people could be putting on a front, but for the most part for Chris, Chris, you know, everyone was cool off the court. Like I said, like we all hung out, we all were, either had kids or starting to have kids at that time we would go to each other's birthday parties we'd grab dinner as the guys on the road so it was it, it, it was weird to me because I'm just like yo how could we fuck with each other so tough off the court but then on the court it would you know we, we would bump heads or get in each other's way that at times where we all needed to be on the same page was there any sort of like discussion in the locker room because people have to see that going on like we're not getting getting along um yeah court. I, I mean I think I mean, like I said, I think we we try to handle it as, uh, you know, internal as much as we could because you obviously don't want the problems getting out. But, you know, there would be times where, you know, it would be discussed. Um, different things that, you know, Blake and DJ or Blake and, Blake and Chris would have conversations. You know, Blake and DJ would butt heads sometimes. They would have conversations. So it was it, it would be discussed. But and at times, it would, again, at times it would be great. But at times when we needed it most, it would rear its head in, in a negative way. So we talked about CP. I want to I want to shed some light on Blake a little bit because I think today a lot of people remember him as that high flying brute force, unbelievable athlete. But there was a whole other wrinkle and layer to his game that I think really started to come out around this time. He was getting you know, a little bit older still in his prime, but that skill level and that passing that he possessed at that size just ball handling as well ball handling he's, he's a big guard mm -hmm. like that it's not normal yeah. what, what was it like having a front row seat to the Blake Griffin show every day I would I say the best thing about Blake was he put the time in when you hear the first person then the last person to leave that was literally Blake you know we would come in before and you know I always try to get my work in other guys got their work in before and after but Blake was in there an hour before you know in a full sweat after you know getting a full workout so Blake definitely put the work in uh, needed to continue to improve his game and now you know I, I feel like you know that was Blake's prime you know when he was known for high flying and then and, and you know put the lob in the lob city or you know the, the city in the lob um, but he was all his, his ability to stretch his range and to continue to get better uh, you know from mid-range to eventually the three-point line um, his ability to you know to bring the ball downhill and transition and you know go go between his legs around his back and make a behind the back pass on the money you know, you don't normally see power forwards doing shit like that. And, um, you know, after, you know, if, if, if all else fails, you know, he can come down the lane and, and dunk on anyone. So Blake at that time, you know, was you can't really name too many power forwards that were better. Obviously, Tim Duncan was coming to the end of his career. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I put Blake Griffin in there at that time, you know, him, Kevin Love, you know, there's a handful of other guys that were literally the best power forwards in the game at that time. A hundred percent. And then sort of shifting to the coaching side, Doc Rivers, you, you proclaimed him as the savior, maybe a little bit of a joke, but that's, Doc yeah, Rivers, that, that's what, that, that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah. That's what it's supposed to be. I mean, Doc Rivers, it, it's interesting. He, he obviously won that championship in Boston, but outside mm-hmm. of that, not, not too much success. Uh, I've heard him be described as like a, a player's coach. Obviously he was a player back mm-hmm. in the day. Uh, how was playing under doc when you think of him compared to maybe some of the, the more technical coaches that you had in your, your career, like a, like a Phil Jackson or a Stan mm-hmm. Van Gundy, what was playing yeah. under doc? Like doc was cool. Cause he definitely was a player. I think anytime you can have a player coach, you just have a different connection because he knows what the grind is and what it's about. Uh, doc was a great motivator, great speeches, great, uh, you know, great deliverer of messages and could really get you going. Um, but we would just hit issues um, sometimes in, in crunch time with, you know, sometimes making adjustments or X's and O's down the stretch. Um, and again, that's not all him. Obviously, we're the ones out there executing. But, you know, again, for the most part, playing with Doc um, is, you know, it, it was fun, you know, but really outside of his, you know, that Boston situation where he got, you know, a, 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 a greatly wrapped present, you know, with all the talent that Boston team had and, and Doc was the missing piece to get them over the top. You know, when he came to L.A., that was the thought. You know, we had this great accumulation of talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they felt Benny wasn't cutting it. Um, Doc was supposed to come in and help us get over the top, you know, but soon after he got there and we see all these titles, as Polito players talk, you're like, okay, well, yeah. How can our head coach that's supposed to believe in us and we give everything for is also making decisions about cutting players, trading players, bringing other players in. So he's supposed to obviously be all for this team, but at the same time, it's a business. So he's, he's obviously trying to get guys in that he feels is can best suit this team. So I think Doc had many hats. And I think, you know, with all due respect, I think that took away from coaching a little bit. Is it weird at all? Like having his son in the locker room when you're, you're talking about him? uh it was when i mean it was weird because you know obviously austin i think austin came to us i'm not exactly sure i know he didn't start the season with us uh, but austin came to us at some point and it, it uh, just naturally that's going to be different you know not yeah. that he treated him any different uh than he treated others people talk about you know he got paid or he paid his son but you know austin played well for our team you know but just austin thing was austin was really arrogant and rubbed you know, some of the guys that have put in work and, and are all-stars and are on the verge of being all-stars, he would rub them the wrong way. Um, and guys, you know, took issue with that. And then, and, and then on top of that, it's just never easy to be the coach's son on any level. But now you're the coach's son in the NBA. So people are always going to have stuff to say about that. But, you know, I take my hat off. Austin played his ass off, played well for us. Um, and I really honestly didn't really see any favoritism um, between those two. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's got to be uncomfortable, but he, he does play hard. Um, right. Heading into the regular season, again, an amazing regular season team, as the Clippers always are. You win 56 games. In the West, I mean, the reason why this season for you guys was so important was you had the Thunder. That's the year that Durant only played like 25 games. They're pretty much out of the equation. The Spurs are, are the defending champs, the but they're out. old. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And the one team that nobody really saw coming was the Warriors who, who explode uh, and have that, that, that first career. Um, mm-hmm. 
you as the starting small forward perimeter defender getting older as you get older and around that time are there any guys that you remember who were maybe young and coming into the league that you know you're just like damn man like i'm getting old like those players on the wings later um, in your career not too much you know to be honest with you because although i was older one thing i pride myself on is being you know the most shape in person or the guy most in shape guy out there so i really pride myself on you know my off-season conditioning and even in-season conditioning just for those reasons you know i mean that's when the the, the wing was popping you know you got mellow you got d wade you got lebron PG. you got kd kg the end of kg you got a young Kawhi leonard um you got a lot of really talented guys out there and and you know each and every night, you know, I was ready for that matchup. I'm not saying I'm locking these guys up, but, you know, I'm making them – Kobe, excuse me. I mean, you know, I'm making these guys work for everything um, they get. But just, you know, there's always – that's a time when, you know, the two and, and, and the small forward were the primary scorers on every team. You know what I mean? So me being a defensive-minded guy first, would I like to got more shots and did all this kind of shit? Yeah, dope. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was right around 10 or 11 points, and I knew, you know, my job every night was to guard – the best perimeter player on the other team, you know, whether it was a point guard, most of the time CP was one of those guards that would never ran from a matchup. So CP's always taking the point guard, but you know, the best two or three, you know, I was always guarding them. So that was really, you know, kind of the way I looked at everything um, that year. You're the best shooting career of your you shoot, shooting year, of your career, you shoot 36% from deep. Um, so, so heading into the playoffs, your reward for winning 56 games in the three seed is the defending champion Spurs. <laughs> Um, that was obviously one of the best series we had probably in the 2010s. Um, the Spurs are old. Duncan's like 38. Manu's like 37. Mm-hmm. What, what makes them still so lethal and dangerous? Even if, you know, Tim Duncan showing up with a Walker to the game. Experience, experience and Popovich, you know, they, 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 one of those historical, um, organizations where, winning is all that matters they plug and play you know kind of like the run that new england had with tom brady there mm-hmm. you know they plug and play around their superstars and their in their core guys and guys coming to know their role so they were always dangerous and as, as old as tim was and manu was they had a young Kawhi leonard at that time that was really starting to just cut his teeth yeah. um in the league and he was a fuck, yeah he was a fucking monster you know so it was you know let's ride tony let's ride Kawhi. Uh, Timmy's going to give us what he got. Ginobili's going to give us what he wanted. And then we're going to surround, you know, our team with shooters and also Boris Diaw, who was a hell of a playmaker, um, for that team. But we knew we were better than that San Antonio team. And, and, and we went out there and proved it. Game seven. I mean, that, that rewatch, if you remember that closing lineup was CP, JJ Crawford, you playing the four and Blake, mm-hmm. I think the Spurs probably got like 20 offensive rebounds in that fourth quarter, but the way the ball falls, Chris Paul gets that last shot and you guys win. Yeah. Uh, CP hurts his hamstring and he's out for the first two games of the Houston series. Mm-hmm. Blake said on, on JJ Reddick's podcast that, you know, when CP goes out, it, it forces everybody else to lift themselves up so much because CP does everything on the court. Right. And they talked about mm-hmm. how in that Houston series, both physical and mental fatigue was a big factor at the end you're up three one, um, and then mm. game five they blow mm. you mm. out. Mm. Game six mm. is 
the Josh Smith and Corey Brewer game, man, what, what happens? What do you remember? Uh, what's going on? Unbelievable. In the I want to say we have a, don't we have a big lead in that game? I want to say we're up double game digits six? going in the fourth quarter, right? Like 17 or something or 15 no, you, or you guys are up like 20 in game six. <laughs> yeah, it's like, fucking like, crazy. And, you know, and then you see, you see James Harden go to the bench. So it's almost mm-hmm. like, okay, shit. You know, obviously you want to focus at the task at hand, but we're looking, okay, the Warriors are waiting on us. You know, we're about yeah. to play the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. James go to the bench, and Josh Smith and, and Corey Brewer just take over, like on, on some some superstar closeout game type shit. You know, Josh is hitting threes left and right. Corey Brewer's energy on both ends of the ball uh, was effective, and, and, and we couldn't hit anything. And with James Harden watching, at that time was, you know, one of the, the, the leading scorers in the league, best players in the world. You know, with him on the bench, his team comes back and beats us. And then I want to say they beat the dog shit out of us in game seven in Houston, didn't they? Didn't they kill us in game seven? It, it ended up being like 12, but I mean, you could just see yeah, but they were yeah, faces. It was different. It was super loud. I remember game seven, their crowd was rocking and just our energy was different. It was almost like, obviously, you, you never think that way, but it's almost like we were defeated before the game started and uh it was another here goes the clippers doing clipper type shit at the end of the day yeah the clipper curse um yeah so game seven you guys lose um you end up getting trade or before we get there i mean you mentioned the warriors <laughs> the, the the sort of looming warriors you were they were waiting for you guys that's a, a series that would have been really cool to see because obviously the year before you guys edged them out in seven, but then that next yeah. year, they just go to a whole other planet. Yep. Um, in your mind, is let that me a- rewind real quick. Not yeah, to yeah, cut go. you off. So, no. so we were, there was some turmoil that year. Um, and, it, and it started in a Warriors game. I want to say it was at Golden State um, at some point in that season. And this is me going through a public divorce. Um, so I was kind of on edge. And I just remember one particular game where we at Golden State, they just beat us in every aspect of the game. I don't know if it was our first time there or our second time there. And to keep it real, like uh, DJ and Blake didn't play very well. But for some reason, instead of, you know, Doc going at them, he would go at me. And I want to say I took three shots. One of them went in and I missed two of them. And on two of my corner threes that I took, this motherfucker stopped the film telling me, oh, you needed to pass this or you should have passed. uh, One time you should have passed to Blake going down the lane. And one time I should have passed to Jamal. And I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, like, we got our motherfucking asses kicked. I missed two threes. And you want to, during the film, you know, instead of addressing dudes that were getting beat up and and not doing their job, you want to address my two shots. And I took offense to it. You know, because he literally was stopping and rewinding. You see this, you see this, you see this. Like, I'm not a motherfucking grown-ass man in my 13th year in the league. And that's not like, you know, in my nature either. You know, I was getting five to seven, eight shots a game. So it's not like I'm taking a bulk of the shots. But the fact that he wanted to point those out, that shit pissed me off. And he kept nagging me and doing it. So it got up to the point where I got up in, like, film session. And everyone's like, oh, my God, what's he going to do? And I was about to go. I was pissed at Doc. I was about to go put hands on Doc. So I got up and out because I sat on the on the far side in the film room and I got up and I remember D, uh, DJ said, Matt, calm down. He tried to like grab my arm or leg as I was getting up and uh, I ended up just walking out of the film session. I was about to go home, but I'm like, fuck it, man. Like, I, I can't let my team down. Let me go in the locker room and cool down. <clears throat> and then we had cameras on the court that you could see in the locker room. You could see TVs in the locker room. And I uh, 
I thought that the guys were out on the court. So I go back out there after film and we start stretching and uh, Doc tells me to flip my jersey over because he was going to put Jamal in the starting lineup and put me on the bench. That makes no like, sense, not, by the way, running yeah. J.J. Redd, yeah. Jamal Crawford and Chris yeah. Paul, but I was like, on. I'm not taking, I'm not taking, I'm not flipping shit. These motherfuckers know what side I'm on and just went out and kind of had like a monster practice that day. I was taking it out on everyone because I really wanted to put pause on Doc. Um, so that happened during the season. And then going into the playoffs, something happened with me and James Harden where his mom um, during a free throw, I don't know if it, I, I think it was our last time playing at Houston or it, it might've even been in the playoffs where I got suspended for mouthing something to James Harden's mom. She told me to take my ass back to LA. And I didn't know who it was. I didn't know it was James Harden's mom or nothing to be honest Damn. with you. And I, I mouthed, you know, and obviously I apologize for it because I didn't know it was her, but I mouthed something and, and kind of grabbed my crotch at her, not knowing who it was. I'm just like, yo, this lady's crazy telling me to take my ass back to L.A. Who the fuck is it? But I'm thinking in the moment of the game, I'm just like, it's a crazy fan. But after I'm thinking, I'm like, that's got to be, that's probably somebody's mom. She's sitting courtside behind the basket. I'm starting thinking to myself. And, <laughs> and then DeAndre tells me like, yo, did you get into an incident with the lady today or uh, tonight during the game? And I'm like, yeah, man, some lady was talking crazy shit. And you're like, and he's just like, well, my mom already told me. And I was just like, oh, okay, who was lady? Like, he's like, it's James Harden's mom. I'm like, oh, fuck, no, is it really? So That's a different like, level. Shit. Yeah, yeah, right. You know what I mean? Because I'm not gonna disrespect nobody. I was just, you know, I saw a fan talking crazy shit. I didn't. My, my, I was at the free throw line. My hands uh, crouched over on my knees, kind of had my head hanging. People are yelling and screaming, and I could still hear her. You know, take your ass back to LA. I'm like, yeah, like who the fuck is this lady talking to? So again, come to find out it's his mom. So after the game, I try to apologize. She completely ignores me. The NBA finds out, finds me, and then Doc tries to bring it up. And I was already heated from the first time he tried to call me out. So I wasn't really trying to hear shit Doc had to say at that point. So me and him got into another altercation. I want to say right before that round. So as soon as free agent hit after we lost Houston, I was like the first trade within like two minutes of free agency. I think I was traded for Lance Stevenson Lance, yeah. um, to Charlotte. And then from Charlotte, I ended up getting me able to get, get out of Charlotte and go to Memphis. But as soon as the trade deadline hit, I knew I was out because, you know, Doc and I had really, really butted heads and it, it, it was going to get violent. And um, so I ended up getting traded, but it was funny because the whole next season, the entire time these guys are calling me from bus rides, you know, we miss you. We've been talking to Doc. You know, you and Doc need a squash. You need to come back. We need to run it back again. And that uh, never ended up happening. Actually, that next season, Doc and I were supposed to end up going to dinner and see if we could squash it. And then I don't think we went to dinner, but we did have a conversation. We did squash it. But then I want to say they signed like Luke Bob Mute or some shit like that. And that was kind of the end of it. I mean, I think that that Houston series was sort of the, the funeral for the lob city Clippers. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it, it's really tough to come back from that. Um, so you, I mean, a few years later, you end up winning a championship in golden state. You analyze the game. Now um, the, the golden question with that Clippers team was always, yes, they're a good regular season team, but can but, they win a but, championship? But, but yeah, the big, yeah. but um, mm -hmm. if you redo that season, you know, 10 times over those playoffs, do you think that it was just unfortunate events that occurred or, or do you think there were structural flaws in that uh, in the construction of that team and the relationships there? I think there, the, the, there were some fractured relationships 
But I think if we could have had some more real conversations, everyone could have kind of took a step back and realized like what we have at the, cause you never really know what you have in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and the one thing I saw when I left was obviously we had a, 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 a solid team, a star studded team over there. But when I went to golden state and you see a Durant locker and a Curry locker and a clay Thompson locker and a Draymond green locker and an Iguodala locker, and you know that Steve Kerr is the coach, but you come in and everybody's fucking with each other and they're really fucking with each other. It's fun. Like you want to come to work. You're excited to go to work mm-hmm. and practice is normally like, we got to go to practice. But that uh, environment over in golden state was different, man. Like you enjoyed going to work every day because the staff was cool. The training staff was cool. Everyone fucked with each other. There was really no egos. Um, and I think I got in at the right time because, you know, like all the situations like, you know, they started, that team started getting fractured the following yep, the season, you know, with, yeah. With, yeah, with issues the following season. So I kind of fell into a perfect situation, but it really just kind of made me ponder that goal, that, that, that Lob City team. So it's just like, yo, this is a star studded team, but you know, we had a really good team too. And, and, and it was just, I, I think, you know, there was too many, we were our own worst enemy and we couldn't get, get out of our way uh, for the greater good of the team. And, you know, we ended up losing. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't really call it a what if, but I think in 10, 20 years, we'll, we'll be looking back at, at those rosters in 14, 15, and at least saying like, how did this team not even make a, a conference yeah. finals? Um, we were deep. I mean, also too, you know, you got to mention, although the Spencer Haas didn't work out, we had Spencer on that roster and then big baby, big baby mm-hmm. had flashes of the greatness. Uh, like we had a really, we were 10, 11 deep with legitimate NBA players with a solid coach and we couldn't get it done. Crazy. Um, yeah. What do you, I mean, what do you just think about that time of your life now when you reflect back? Um, uh, it was just a missed opportunity. You know what I mean? It's, it, you look back and you think about teams you played on and opportunities you had and, and, and you're more realistic with yourself. Like, oh, you know, we thought we were pretty good, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, so-and-so was better. We probably wouldn't. But I didn't really see quite as kept. Like I said, we, we were able to knock, you know, the defending champs out at home in, in mm-hmm. seven games. We get up 3-1 on a Houston team. We should close that out. And then we're going to play, you know, uh, uh, a Golden State team that, you know, although they were we were battling at the time, there was like a little mini rivalry, you know. And, You're familiar and, and the with last them. thing we knew, right, the last thing we knew, you know, we got them in seven games mm-hmm. the year before. So we knew, okay, it's going to be a battle in that Western Conference Finals against this young Golden State team. And then, shit, we're going to get to see LeBron in the finals. You know what I mean? So when you kind of go back and play it over, I mean, that's how it kind of plays in your mind. But – you got to be able to execute, the court, execute that shit on the court. And, you know, like you said, it started in that 13-14 season with that Oklahoma City collapse. And then the following season, that, that Houston collapse. And, and, and I agree with you. You know, that was kind of the, the, the final nail in the coffin to uh, Lob City. I mean, luckily for you, you did get that ring a few years later. But mm-hmm. I think for maybe some other players on that team, uh, like a JJ or a Blake, um, that, that yeah. was their chance. Yeah. Well, I mean, that to, to me, to win it, to win a championship with the Clippers. And, and as I say this with all due respect, it would have meant more for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that was a team we really took pride in. You know, the Clippers have been a doormat in the league for a long time. And we really took pride in coming to the Clippers. And first of all, kind of, you know, the Lakers were down at the time. So we were taking advantage of trying to beat the shit out of Kobe and the Lakers every single time. If you look at back at some of those Laker Clipper scores during, you know, that two or three year run, we were destroying the Lakers. So it's just like, okay, now we got to go in and, 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 and make noise in the playoffs. And for whatever reason, every year, man, we would, we would, we, we would you know, self-inflicted wounds. We would end up losing. So, you know, it's, you look back at it now, like damn, what could have been, but just kind of is what it is. 
is there is there good energy playing in Staples Center as a Clipper? Um, at that time, there was because we, we, we were new. You know, Lob City kind of took the league by storm. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean, we had the most exciting games. We were sometimes beating the shit out of teams by 50 points a game. And you're seeing crazy dunks, you know, DeAndre dunk, dunking on Brandon Knight and Blake doing whatever Blake does and CP marveling the world. Jamal Crawford getting hot, JJ getting hot, me getting hot. You know, we just had a fun team that really, you know, at times looked amazing. Uh, but, you know, there was just no carryover. Why do CP and Doc complain so much to the refs? <laughs> I remember you, because I sent you that, like, yeah. you, when you were at the Lakers, yeah. you sort of threw some dirt and said, yeah, they're good, they're talented. Blake doesn't have to be flopping that much. They're complaining every time, like, yeah. Did, did, did you ever say anything or did that continue when, when you were there? Because I, I, I think that's uh, I mean, sort of what they I, do. I, I, I complain to the refs too, you know, so it's kind of hard. You know, Is obviously when you're on the other team, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm on, you're on the other team, you can kind of take shots at them. But, you know, I'm not someone that that is new to that either. Um, but there were times I felt like that for whatever reason, you know, the refs were against us. You know what I mean? Sometimes you get beat. Sometimes you're like, wow, all these calls, you know what I mean? So it's just like, you know, but I mean, a ref can only take so much. You got the coach yelling at him. You got CP yelling every time. You know, you got Blake saying something. You got me saying something. JJ would blow a casket every once in a while. So our gasket every once in a while. So it's just like, damn, all that team does is complain. But we also played hard. <laughs> you do play hard. Well, Lob City will, will definitely live in the history books forever. It'll be a fun team to revisit down the line. But MB, as always, I, I appreciate your time. We'll catch you on all the smoke. We'll catch you on yes. the Sacramento broadcast. Any any last words yeah. for the people? Um, I think when I don't know, I've been thinking about this. When the Clippers move to their new arena, they need to drop the Clipper name and, and come mm. up with a whole new name. I think they just need to get rid of that Donald Sterling energy, uh, even though he's long gone. Just the the name is synonymous with Sterling, you know. What I mean, so I think when they get a fresh start in their own building, they need to t- change the team name and and, and and get a fresh slate. I was just gonna say they gotta get they gotta go back to the 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 blue and red too i don't really rock with these black and white jerseys bring back the q rich and d miles jerseys yeah man they need to do something but um no man i appreciate it again for having me welcome to the showtime basketball family man i look forward to working with you likewise we'll catch them out on all the smoke what's burning tune into some sacramento kings games yeah, you, you, you ever going to get that? I'm active. Yeah. You, you ever going to get that 10 day offer from, uh, from the kids? No, I'm done. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> if I was, I'll, I'll be 42 in March. If it was like three years ago, if I was in my 30s still, I would have probably popped out there and, and got a 10 day, but I'm, I'll, I'll pull everything in my lower extremity if I try to get out there and play with these <laughs> kids now. So I just enjoy watching and coaching my kids. What's your, uh, what's your coaching comparison on the sidelines? Are you like a, you like a Pat Riley, Ooh. Greg Popovich? You like a Steve Kerr, like players coach? Um, at times I'm a mix. I'm a mix of Steve mm. Kerr where I just sit back and let, you know, Steve and Phil, that's one, the two, okay. they kind of sit back and let shit happen. I let our team kind of figure it out. I don't overreact when teams go on runs. I want the kids to kind of figure it out on their own. And then sometimes I have to cuss the motherfucking ref out because he's bullshit. You know what mm. I mean? So I'm, I'm a little bit of both. Uh, but I love it. You know, I love seeing, obviously my kids love what they do and succeed, but also, you know, other kids learning and soaking up game and really, you know, learning basketball, you know, learn the kids these days are so skilled, but I feel like they lack the basketball IQ. So I enjoy kind of teaching them, you know, the, the, the real X's and O's and, 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 and really understanding the game instead of just going out there and playing it. So, uh, at 13, you know, these kids are soaking up a lot of game and we got a really good team, man. So I definitely enjoy what I'm doing now. So. 
All right, MB. I appreciate you. All right. Um, we'll catch you soon. Thank you. No doubt, bro. Have a good one. That is it for this week. I hope you enjoyed. That was Matt Barnes on the 2015 Clippers. Be sure to rate and review the pod if you are enjoying it. We'll be back next week with another freshie. Check out Forgotten Seasons on Instagram and Twitter. Showtime Basketball on all social platforms. Appreciate you tapping in. I'll catch you next week. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. Exploreminnesota.com slash live.